0: Totally Football Show. Hells to the Bells, it's the emotional roller coaster that is International Week. As the big names line up for some exciting international challenges like filling the next 60 minutes, we run down where your nation is, on the road to next summer's European Championships. Bicycles to Van Basten. Why Friday's Germany Netherlands game might be the greatest European fixture. Plus, hits and misses with the new women's Super League season. The nice folks in the Coupe the Nord explaining racism. And the return of the flip reverse in this Totally Football show in association with Paddy Power. Who's on board? You are, listener. Thank goodness for that. And here to talk to you, straight out of It's Daniel Story, writer for The Eye. Good morning. Lindsay Hooper from the Offside Rule. Hello. And, and many other places, Lindsay, well, to find you.
1: many, but we don't need to list them all.
0: Okay. Michael Cox is here, man of words, man of letters.
2: Yeah. Excellent. Thanks, Yeah, they're component parts. Yeah, yeah thanks.
0: Absolutely. And, they, and you put some of them together in strings, we call sentences, to make books called things like Mixer and Zonal Marking, which you can pay for with money and enjoy. That's
2: all true. Thanks, James.
0: Brilliant.
1: Can you, can you pay with Bitcoin?
2: Not as far as I'm aware, but I don't really know what Bitcoin is, to be honest. So. Somebody told me, and this is completely irrelevant,
0: but somebody told me that the servers that power the whole Bitcoin economy use up more energy per day than, than all the flights that go on around the world. Wow. I don't know if that's true. It, I found it shocking. That makes,
3: somehow makes me understand Bitcoin less than I did before. All right.
0: <laughs> yeah, me too. Let's move on to things that we do have some passing understanding of Daniel things like football things like the end of the transfer window which came to a shuddering stop at the conclusion of Monday first up how much fun does Icardi to PSG look I think it looks potentially disastrous so yes very very fun right there's the character issue of bringing in a player who's just been a massive disruption in one dressing room to a a dressing room that's already massively disrupted but there's also the fact that he hasn't actually played a game in how long now Quite a while. I don't know when. So bringing him in as cover for a couple of injured players, how how much sense does that make?
1: Well, none. And also bringing him into a dressing room with a disgruntled Neymar, who's now still there. I mean, I wouldn't want them both in my dressing room as a player. And I'm not
2: sure that there's a place for him when everyone's fit. I mean, he's a very... Quite a one-dimensional forward, isn't he, Akadi? He's a, a goal poacher, essentially. Mm. He's not someone who's going to be involved in build-up play. And I think... I mean, they they have enough goals, don't they? You think? It's just a strange signing. Everything about it is odd.
0: They have got Real Madrid coming up in the Champions League and Cavani and Mbappé out. But I guess there's some logic. Can you see why they would have done it? Is there there a, a way that you think it could work out, Michael?
2: I think he'll score goals in Ligue 1. Okay. B- because they do create chances and he is a very good finisher. But I mean what PSG's task is is not to score more goals in League Owners, to progress in the Champions League. And I'm right. I'm not convinced he's the style of player that will give them more okay. because he is the kind of player you just don't see for 70 minutes and then scores two goals, but whether he'll do that in the Champions League, we'll have to wait and see. Okay.
0: Nicholas Bentham might score goals in Liga. He's, though, just signed for his hometown club, FC Copenhagen, until the end of the season. Great footage of his first training <laughs> session. <laughs> Daniel, you've seen that.
3: Yeah, way. it's very it's very rare that you watch anything done by a footballer and think, I think I could have done better there, but I think I could have done better there. It was, there's, a, there's one header where he really blasts it and the ball just goes out a side shot, doesn't even trouble the goal, it's amazing. Right.
1: He is the gift that keeps on giving, yeah. isn't he?
0: Well, apparently just for one more season.
3: Yeah, so. well,
1: I'm going to miss him. I'm really going to miss him when he retires. Oh,
0: yeah. Which is appropriate, you know, given his track record <laughs> <in> that training. <laughs> Elsewhere, though, the big news, and, and Gabriella Marcotti did a lovely uh, article about this on ESPN, was the dogs that didn't bark in the night, the players who didn't move, uh, Neymar, Pogba, DiBala, Eriksen, Zaha. Do you think this was just a blip? Gab is kind of positing that the FFP regulations mean that all the big players have ended up at all the big clubs, no one else can afford them, but now the big club's got too many.
2: And maybe that's true for the transfer window as a whole. I think for deadline day, I mean, most deadline days, nothing happens. It's all complete speculation at the start of the day. There's always about 10 transfers that have about 2% chance of happening, and then nothing happens. When you look through deadline day, there's been maybe three in the last 10 years where there's been big transfers. But usually, if, you know, if you're asking the question a week out, do you think so-and-so will happen? Yeah. The answer is usually no, isn't it? You no, know. but over the course of the summer, I think that those were moves. I think you'd have
0: expected at least some of those to go through, whether it was Ericsson or, or, or certainly Neymar, but, mm. but uh, hey.
1: And the bigger story off the back of things that as well have been happening in Italy this week is the fact that one player, Yannick balassi at Everton, didn't make a move to a club where he might experience racism from the fans. And that was CSKA Moscow, who did come in for him. But he didn't want to do that move because of that reason. And I think, wow, when we're in a world where we're talking about that, and also it's topical after Caglery as, as well, I think his story is is one that we should be focusing on.
0: Absolutely. Well, we'll talk a bit more about Inter later on, but I must admit I hadn't, hadn't seen that. It's really, really sad. Elsewhere, the last week's news that Bolton had been rescued saw them embark on an absolutely mad transfer deadline day flurry to actually make a team to, with which to, mm. to, to, to pursue the rest of the season.
3: Yeah, they are particularly useful for clubs like Nottingham Forest who are stockpiled players and managed to get three to Bolton out on deadline day. How difficult was it what
0: Bolton had to do on? Uh,
3: well, they just, it, in a way, it wasn't that difficult in that they any player that said yes to them, they basically had to say yes to that player. The interesting thing, I think, is if you're a club that has yet to play Bolton, and seen, for example, Tranmere beating them five nil. You then play them in two weeks' time, and they've suddenly got a team packed with Championship players. Admittedly, that the Championship clubs didn't want, but it's a stronger team now. You'd be annoyed if you missed out on the playoffs or got relegated by on goal difference at the end of the season. You had to play Bolton when they were good, rather than when they were you know, absolutely terrible. I think I I really feel for those clubs,
0: right? Although I suppose it's an issue whenever you have the transfer window. Closing once the season's underway.
3: Particularly with Bolton because they were banned from signing players and then were suddenly allowed, yeah.
0: This issue though of the Premier League stopping their transfers or at least stopping acquisitions two weeks before the rest of the continent,
2: did that prove to be as big a thing as was predicted? No, second season in a row it hasn't really affected Premier League clubs at all. And it has affected Premier League clubs when you look at their lineups because they keep on playing unchanged sides. Whereas you look two or three years ago, managers were going to the season completely unable to prepare. And I think it's really improved the standard of football in the Premier League. So I think it's a good thing. It does. I, and I realise this is not, you know, the dumb thing to be saying at this moment in time for wider reasons. But I think we've got it right. And I think the rest of Europe could <laughs> copy us. Uh, but unfortunately, Michael, or perhaps predictably, I, I understand
0: that we're now going to do the wrong thing. Uh, have they not, have yeah. they not announced that they are intended to move it back in line with Europe?
3: Yeah, the story is that they will vote and the vote will be that they only need a majority and that a majority will move to move it back be- simply because the rest of Europe hasn't fallen into line, which seems a little bit impatient because I think it was Sid Lowe who was saying that Spain actually is considering moving into line, just not yet and it will just take a bit of time for the clubs to agree. So it does seem a bit of a shame that they're going to... It just ruins the start of the season for me. That new season excitement
0: is completely eclipsed by transfer noise. So you're saying we'd be throwing away our leadership in
2: Europe at a time, just at the the time when we'd actually have a big role to play. (laughs) That's (laughs) interesting. It's like the entire month, the first month of the season, I think is farcical because you have three weeks where it's just constant transfer deadline. Then there's deadline day and you're like, okay, let's get going. It's international break. It's just a waste of a month. Well, Mauricio um, Pochettino wasn't <laughs> happy,
1: was he? No. And and I've not seen him not happy in all the time that I've been covering uh, London Mauricio clubs. Pochettino? Yeah, but he's not happy. He's not happy about this European Isn't transfer. He's not window. happy quite a lot. No, yeah, I I've, I've all, no, I've always found Amazing. him an absolute pleasure. The Spurs
0: manager Mauricio Pochettino, yes, big yes, bloke, yes. Uh,
1: purple tracksuit. One of suit. my favourites. And and I have to say that this European transfer window really seemed to get under his skin. Unless there's other things going on, Might which be. we don't know, but. Having, uh, you know, all that speculation around Christian Eriksen and you've got players as well that their contracts are running out like Jan Bertongen and Toby Alderweireld. And who would have thought that the last hour Barcelona come in, they make an approach for Lucas Moura and mm. then Daniel Levy saying 50 million pounds. Could they afford to sell him at all? Even if they'd have got that 50 million, I'd, mm. have, I'd have argued they couldn't. Not when, when the way that it's set up is that ours is closed and European transfer window is still open. I the, the amount of people that, have been flocking around Spurs, I can understand why he's disgruntled because it does seem to have upset the status quo there.
0: I see. All right, well, as you say, Michael, your voice a quiver with excitement. The international break is upon us. So, straight after this, we'll be looking at those games and no question what the standout fixture is. You're listening to the Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. This Friday, listener, sees Germany facing Netherlands again. Yes, one of international football's fiercest rivalries. From the Germans beating Cruyff's Orange in the 1974 World Cup final to Hullit and Van Basten doing the do at Euro 88, to the moment the spat really came to a head when Rijkaard flobbed on Rudi Vuller's poem at Italian 90. They're always eventful games, they're often epic. As our friends Michael Jongsma and Raphael Honigstein explain in this specially commissioned Reminisci package.
3: Johan Cruyff, Franz Beckenbauer, two players that they're valuing at over a million pounds. Netherlands versus Deutschland in the World Cup final 1974.
4: The West Germans didn't realise that there was necessarily a non-football element to this game, but a lot of the Dutch players uh, later came out and explained perhaps why they were so keen on humiliating Germany. Certainly the way the game has been retold in Germany was that the Dutch started doing lots of flicks, started to really t- try to angle almost the Germans and of the course they came back to win the game.
5: End of the game and West Germany have won the World Cup. There's the man who did.
6: Good With the Dutch eventually losing that final, um, that has been the overarching uh, image I suppose of that World Cup for the Dutch. The damn Germans doing their thing again. The Dutch had a fantastic team and the 88 uh, Euros was most definitely uh, a point at which they felt that they finally overcome the fear of the Germans which was most uh, mostly personified by the current uh, Dutch national manager Ronald Koeman wiping his arse with Olaf Tone's shirt after uh, beating the Germans two-one. Uh,
5: well, now he's called Vohler over, and well, Voler was provoked into that because he'd already got the free kick.
4: The quarter-final in 1990, another uh, iconic game, really, in, in Dutch-German football relations. And not just for the win and for the performance, which is really good on, on Germany's behalf, but also, of course, for the sending off for both Völler and, and Rijkaard. Good Völler is absolutely incensed, and in fairness...
5: Well, it's a red card, and Bowler is off, and that is extraordinary. Oh, and he's, Well, there was no doubt about it then. Reichart spat on Boller as he walked past him, and that, Bobby, is atrocious. Absolutely atrocious.
6: At that point, I think most people saw Van Geikert as a hero. Germany Holland met again in 1992. The
4: worst of the sort of animosity and the, and the hatred that that spilled over in 1990
6: was gone by then. That 2-2. Uh, draw in the Nations League that effectively relegated the Germans uh, and got the Dutch to the final is, is still seen as as a, as a watershed moment for for the Dutch in football, but also for for example for a, a player like Virgil van Dijk when asked. About his season, and he I mean he's had a really successful season, obviously. Uh, one of the highlights he pointed out was scoring against the Germans because it was a goal against the Germans. So that sentiment is still there. It's obviously a bit friendlier, uh, but still, when it comes to rivalries, this, this is still the one that counts. Elena's cross.
7: Oh, they blocked it out. Would you believe it? Virgil van Dijk in the last minute of the game. And maybe Dutch will go to the Nations League party, after all!
0: Look at this for a finish on the volley.
7: No chance
4: for Well, the expectation is to win every single game in those qualifiers, whether it's the Dutch, Tolman Hamburg or Northern Ireland. Um, it hasn't really changed. We I mean, feel that they should top the scoop, that they should qualify fairly comfortably. And the results uh, almost take a backseat to the performances. Uh, that is, of course, if, if they do win. Uh, against the Dutch, as far as Northern Ireland concerned, um, Germans appreciate uh, the challenge that they pose. Uh, they saw the Euros, you know, they saw what they did then, but it's not the sort of opposition that uh, even a Germany that is still in the process of sort of shaping up to be uh, a real powerhouse, again would feel uh, should have too many problems with.
0: Fabulous stuff there. Netherlands, Germany, Netherlands, sorry, and Germany go again on Friday. It's actually the fourth meeting in the last year or so. The last one, which was uh, earlier on in qualifying, saw Germany winning 3-2 in Amsterdam in March. Mm. That was
2: a brilliant game. I mean, the best international game I've seen for a long time. Just non-stop action, last-minute winner from, I think, Nico Schultz uh, for Germany. Germany played this mad 3-5-2 with... Sané and Nabri up front just running everywhere and yeah, it's just a great historic fixture but these these fixtures have been full of goals over the last year as well. They have.
1: have. Yeah, they really have. I mean, the last three in the 12 months uh, have actually yielded 12 goals Mm -hmm. And, and I know this more than anyone because Two of my friends who are married, one is from the Netherlands and one is from Germany and wow. they sit on different sides of the room, it feels like, um, when I've been with them. And I've watched World Cup football and it's, there's been pain there in, in Mao's eyes, you know, as a Netherlands fan over recent years. But there seems to be glimmers, doesn't there, that the Netherlands are back to, to where they once were.
0: Well, that victory over Germany to, to earn themselves a place in the prestigious Nations League final. Of course, as it stands right now, they're both chasing the mighty Northern Ireland in their Euro qualifying group. Netherlands are six points behind Germany, but with their game in hand. And they both got games in hand on on uh, Michael O'Neill's Northern Ireland.
1: Yeah, you can't say too much at the moment, can you, without... You need a few more games, really, to sort of work you out do. where the group is. but
0: OK. Leroy Sani, you mentioned scoring in that 3-2 win, and he's been... He scored picked,
1: in the 2-2 draw as well, didn't did he? he? Yeah.
0: And he's not going to score in this one, because he's out. <laughs> no. That's my analysis. <laughs> uh, De Ligt and De Jong haven't started their season well. Well, Delict had a horror show against Napoli. Anyway, it's going to be fascinating to watch on, on Friday evening. Did you know that Serge Nabry has seven goals in
2: his eight caps so far? I did not know that. That's a very good international scoring rate.
0: <laughs> I would say so. <laughs> as you point out... Uh, Lindsay, there's not that much point look, looking at the tables at uh, this early stage, but this is an absolutely crucial game though, particularly for Netherlands lying as they do all the way down, I think, in fourth place in, in the group. No, it's third, sorry, It's third.
1: more must-win for them, right. and I think that they need to assert some authority in this tie. And and I think Van Dijk will help them do that, because I think he's been brilliant since uh, since that two-all draw, because he was, he was instrumental, I thought, in that game, and has sort of changed in the way he's played uh, for the Netherlands since. So I, I think that this could be very, very tight. But a high-scoring draw? Is anyone else thinking that?
0: Well, we'll see. By the way, if you like a bit of germany netherlands get yourself along to thetotallyfootballshow.com where Nick Miller's got a lovely retro piece on the 92-euro meeting
2: between these two nations. What happened then? Spoiler alert, Michael. So that was in the group stage, Holland 1-2-0. 3-1, I 3-1. Yeah. There was a very, quite a famous headed goal by Dennis Bergkamp in that that was quite... Oh quite interesting but then holland kind of got carried away as holland have a tendency to do over the years and then lost in the semi-finals to denmark and germany progressed through the semi-finals and then lost to denmark in the final brilliant very strange tournament that united too i'll say
0: anyway right now so much more of that kind of thing on the totallyfootballshow.com what's the rest of europe up to over this international break Well, we'll be finding that out next Paddy Power knows the very best way to sponsor a team is by unsponsoring them. That's why we're launching the Save Our Shirt campaign. And that's why Huddersfield Towns Kit won't have our logo on it at all. Don't you wish we weren't on your shirt? Paddy Power. Save Our Shirt.
7: On Spotify, Smart Speaker and podcast platforms everywhere, this is the Totally Football Show from Muddy Knees Media
5: на трета. А ми нормална диета.
1: да ви мене, да 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 на на етап не Yeah. That's right. Welcome to Hell England.
0: That's Gladen. By <coughs> Insurhazar, who's currently uh, riding high in the Bulgarian charts with that track. And that's the kind of raucous reception that's going to await England uh, this weekend uh, from the travelling sport anyway.
1: Because mm. they're Wembley. not famous for their music, are they? Who, Bulgaria, yeah. I bet
0: they are in Bulgaria. That's such a. <laughs> I'm surprised <the> you <laughs> didn't. Maybe in Eurovision. But wait, do you not think Bulgarian?
1: Just because oh, we're not really not been my cup of tea, I suppose. Yeah, it's just. I not don't my, know any. They, they probably hate
2: blue, possibly. Yeah, so. Right. Ask Pat Nevin
1: next time he's
2: in.
0: <laughs> right. Oh, or, listener, if you're uh, in Bulgaria or are familiar with their music and feel it's getting a short shrift unfair. <laughs>
1: yeah, let me know. Sense. Let me know some good tracks to listen to. Because I, I, I travel a lot to football matches. Mm. I need things to listen to in the car. Right.
0: I tell you one kind of Bulgarian record that's not good, and that's their record <laughs> in the qualifying <laughs> so far. Lovely.
1: Um, nice segue.
0: Yeah, because they've Bottom
1: yet the to win a game so mm. far
0: in qualifying. There you go. Uh, England, by contrast, thrashed the Czech Republic 5-0 and then did Montenegro 5-1. So they're looking pretty good. Any thoughts before we whiz on on the England team with four uncapped players?
3: I think the interesting thing will be, without Wamba bissaka out, Trent Alexander-Arnold will start. And it'll be interesting to see if... Southgate tries to effectively re- replicate Liverpool, which I think is kind of been what he's trying to do with Alexander arnold pushing really forward, Chilwell probably doing the same if he starts. Mm. And it's that midfield balance because everyone's kind of pushing for a Mason Mount or a James Madison. But actually, if they're going to play with fullbacks really high, what would make more sense would be a Winks, Rice and Henderson midfield. But then that doesn't get any of those two new boys in. So it'll be interesting to see.
1: There was this uproar about Carl Walker not being included and I have to say I agree with Gareth Southgate on this. You know, in the comments that he made he was like what is the point of bringing him into the squad at his age, at his experience if I'm not going to play him straight away? Mm. And, and were you two the same? Were you thinking that he should have been included? Because I, I just we, thought that was quite a good explanation. We've
3: well, we basically got the well, we've got the, the Premier League champion at right back. We've got the European champion at right back and we've got the most expensive right back in the history of English football. So, we have so many options in that position. That I mean, I actually think that wan pulling out this squad mm. will negatively affect him, and he's brilliant because he, you have to take your chances to impress. And he probably might have started against at least one of these games. So, yeah, I think Alexander Arnold is, especially against weaker nations. Right. Let him let him push forward.
0: wan who was one of the four uncapped players, called up. And Mason Mount and James Madison also in the uh, In the squad, as is Tyrone Mings and delightful to see to tick on your on your England uh, bingo sheet the I thought the call up was a wind up <laughs> from, from Tyrone uh, there you go anyway england they 're looking good in the group they 'd have to work pretty hard not to qualify, not least because having topped the nation 's league group, that means that even if they don 't finish top two, they get a playoff blah, blah, mm. blah, etc. Who's your favourite Bulgarian player of all time, Lindsay?
1: Well, I couldn't say that they're my favourite of all time from watching them live because right. it was before my time. But I have voiced and uh, been part of a few productions where I have watched clips and, and going back, I remember the USA 94, oh. Hristo Stoichkov.
0: Stoichkov. I met him, um, you know.
1: Incredible. I didn't actually know who it was that I'd watched. You've met him? Yeah. Oh, tell yeah. us more.
0: Well, no, we just kind of, we shared a, it was quite intimidating. He's a very big, guy. Well, his presence, it fills the room. He's a rock star, yeah. isn't he, basically? Yeah. Is what? he
1: as feisty in real life as he was on the pitch? He doesn't need
0: to be, you know, because no one's going to give him any jip. <laughs> so when he walks in, everyone, and he, he just kind of, he's quite calm and relaxed about it because he knows, but you know it could turn in an instant. Certainly that was my when, when impression.
2: When was that? Was that in his brief spell at
0: Palmer? He went to Palmer. Yeah, yeah. for like eight games or something. That's right. I yeah. got, I got in got nice. out.
3: There's a there's a lovely quote from Soitskoff when he won the Ballon d'Or in 94. Uh, he just went up on the stage and said, there are two Christs, <laughs> one in heaven and one at Barcelona, and then said, me, as if anyone knew who he was talking about. <laughs> the, the
1: tournament in 94, I remember watching quite a lot of it. I was 12, right. so spoiler alert on age coming up. But I, as you're trying to work that out, James, <laughs> that was so rude, 12 years old, and I remember some of those goals, but I don't rem- I knew that I didn't know who the player was, and it wasn't right. until later on I voiced some footage, I was like, oh, that was who I watched, and who I really enjoyed, and then I, I started doing that thing of going and trawling through YouTube and watching loads of his old goals, so I loved him, um, I have to say Stylian Petrov, even though I'm a Wolves fan, and he was huge oh, yeah. filler, but I, mm. I really liked him as a player. Um,
0: Lechkov, he was my favourite from 94. Yeah, he and was Trifon Ivanov, one. who
3: sadly passed away in 2016. Okay. He? Uh, yeah, he was the kind of, the one looked like a wolf. Oh, right, yeah. No, he was they a were kid. a great team. Well, anyway.
2: Their, their second best player was probably Krasimir Balakov. Okay. Who is now the manager of Bulgaria. Oh,
0: brilliant. Mm. Excellent. Excellent. Well, who knows if uh, years from now we won't be looking back on this Bulgaria team with such... Fond memories uh, for now though we're going to move on to oh look what else is going on in the countdown to 2020 Northern Ireland, the top of their group, as we mentioned, they have had mm, way more games than the other sides in that group like Germany and Netherlands, but they've won all four of them so far michael O'Neill's side, and you can't say fair than, than that. will Grig not on fire at the moment for Sunderland, not actually in the squad. Chris Jones asks, any thoughts on Oliver Norwood retiring from international football at the age of 28 with 57 caps yeah. and the home and away qualifiers against Germany and the Netherlands coming up? Crying shame. Well, I don't know the background to this, but it seems a strange timing, Yeah, it? I
1: was listening to some, some bits on the radio of people talking about this because surely at 28 he is at peak prime time to be playing international football. If you're going to discuss... Jamie Vardy not playing anymore then this is a bigger topic I think the fact that Oliver Norwood's not he's a huge miss and I think he's shown that in his, his form this season I I don't understand it I don't understand whether it was a no forever or whether well, it was he just was... doesn't
0: fancy Germany and Netherlands come back after
2: <laughs> what's the, sorry what's the reason
0: I'm unaware I of know. this
1: I think what, he wanted reason? to focus on, yeah. club, on football, club form yeah, right. yeah.
0: Okay we'd all love to Oliver but we've got these international breaks yeah, what are gonna say, you going to do so I should
3: have told him it's not at the same time it's fine don't yeah. worry about
0: it yeah all right uh, not top of their group Wales who are down in fourth side of one, just one game so far in Group E that was 1-0 against Slovakia they've got Azerbaijan on Friday Gareth Bale is fit Ramsey obviously isn't Harry Wilson I believe is uh, very available so you feel kind of reasonably confident about their chances of getting a much needed win
3: yeah my, I think my game of the round is in that group S- is Slovakia Croatia because Croatia start, they lo- Croatia lost to Hungary just beat Azerbaijan 2-1 at home and basically went there last year for a piece and they are incredibly worried that all that World Cup goodwill is just being chucked away and obviously they lost to England which means they miss it. They don't even have the, the qualifier you mm. know, the playoffs backup option and yeah if they lose to Slovakia and as I say they lost away in Hungary then they're in big trouble
0: Crikey. Scotland are also in some difficulty, <laughs> although they do have that Nations League wildcard thing, but they're down in fourth and they're facing a huge game against Russia. Loads more on that in the totally Scottish football show, where they'll also have a Sasha him with an expert view on this Scotland's opponents. Very nice. Ireland, uh, meanwhile, under Mick McCarthy, of course, now are going very nicely. Top of their standings uh, with three wins and a draw so far. And they're taking on Switzerland, who are lying third in the group. And that's actually this evening, Thursday evening. So may may have happened by the time you're hearing this, listener. Uh, something that most assuredly hasn't, and you're still very much in time for, and also concerns Ireland, is Daniel. Is it uh, Totally Football Live? It is. That's right. We can now confirm that we'll be making stops in both Dublin and Belfast in our Backstops Back Tour. <laughs> at the start of November. We're going to be at Liberty Hall in Dublin on Friday the 8th of November. That's Friday the 8th of November. Meanwhile, Belfast Limerick will be hosting us on Saturday night, quite literally the next day. You can come to both because it's, you know...
1: You, don't repeat, you don't repeat the, the same topics. Oh,
0: I'm not so sure about that. I was just meaning it's quite easy. You just drive across.
1: <laughs> People don't want to come and hear it all again.
0: Uh, tickets are on sale now, <laughs> and you can find links to those shows and our gigs in Liverpool and London crikey, at thetotallyfootballshow.com forward slash events. Very good. Before we leave the Euro 2020 qualifiers, any other fixtures we should be getting excited about? Lindsay? I
1: am going, as the resident Wolves fan, I'm going to mention Portugal, of course, because they've got a lot of our players. So Portugal against Serbia. Um, And at the moment, Portugal only have two points from two games. So it's interesting. But my my fact about this match is that This game between Portugal and Serbia has never produced less than two goals or more than three. So it either finishes 1-1 or 2-1. Or 3-0. (laughs) Yeah. That, that I like the
3: idea they've only played once and it was a one-all draw. That's what I'm hoping.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, over how many time? games have there been? I mean, over <clears> time, <throat> I don't know how many games over time. I'm just, I just n- know that that's a little stat about it.
0: Why why is everyone saying that Portugal are in so much trouble? they've got terrific lineup: João Felix doing so well at Atletico Madrid, and him and Cristiano Ronaldo assuming that they link up well together. But they've had what? A couple of draws so far, is it? Uh, why is that? Why is everyone saying, oh well, they're already in trouble?
2: I wouldn't say they're already in trouble but they've had two home games and they've, both, they've drawn them both Portugal do have a habit of making qualification a little bit difficult for themselves I just think this is one of the games where there's two teams who, who you know, need a result Two exciting teams. So, of course, Jao Felix against uh, Luka Jovic. Mm. They faced each other in the Europa League last year. Benfica against Eintracht. Of course, Jovic used to be at Benfica. So their fans were a little bit disappointed when he moved on. And Jao Felix kind of came in and and filled that hole. So I just think it's, you know, of all the fixtures that I don't have a vested interest in, it's maybe Mm. one I'll go out of my way to watch. Okay. This is the group, although they don't play this
3: week, that Luxembourg are somehow second in with four points from four games. So, unfortunately,
2: (laughs) yeah. Four points for four games in their second?
3: Yeah. Portugal have only played twice for their two points. Have they drawn all the games or did they win one? No, they won one, drawn one. Who did they beat? Uh, Lithuania, 2-1, yes. Really? Yeah, fair play. All right.
0: Excellent. Well, there's certainly all sorts of delights available across the broad spectrum of Euro qualifying. Up next, though, we're going to be talking about some other football that's taking place this weekend. It's the start of a brand new and biggest ever, best ever, women's Super League season. You're listening to The Totally Football Show with James Richardson. WSL returns this weekend with a new sponsor, with a new TV deal. Mm. Viewers as far afield as Mexico, the Dominican Republic, Finland and Denmark will be able to follow the adventures of Champions Arsenal newly promoted Man United Spurs all those other sides as, as well
1: you James as the FA right. player because exactly. you can watch every single game live
0: uh, and you can I think BBC are also putting it on the red button is that yeah. right yeah brilliant okay so what the opening fixtures you're going along to Stamford Bridge on Sunday we are as as Chelsea take on Spurs as part of this new thing of 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 bringing women's game to venues traditionally associated with the men's version.
1: Yeah, and they seem to be doing quite well with ticket sales. So because that's the that's the main concern, isn't it? When you bring women's football into these huge stadiums and they're used to potentially part filling something that's four or five thousand, you don't want to then be at Stamford Bridge or at the London Stadium or at the Etihad, and it being. Feeling like it's pretty much empty. I mean, that that was the concern, but it's not looking like that. It it looks like there really is this pickup off the back of the World Cup. A lot of tickets have been sold. How many? We don't know at at this stage the final amount, but I think they're looking at around at Stamford Bridge, certainly over 20,000 will be there. But a lot of them as well. To entice a lot of families to come, have been given out free. So we need to remind people that if you have been given free tickets, to still go along, because I suppose that's the temptation when the weather maybe turns. But it is going to be worth going to, to go and see. Uh, it should be really good as well because you're going to get to see some of the lionesses from the summer. Fran Kirby will be playing. Beth England, who just got a call up for Chelsea, she, she's going to be playing. And then you look at Spurs, who are a pretty new outfit. They're the ones now trying to impress in this top division, um, and they've got Gemma Davison, who used to play for Chelsea so there's a nice link there she's a very skillful player so she'll be playing and Kit Graham who they poached from from Charlton she might be getting amongst the goals so it should be quite a competitive match as well as being this nice spectacle at Stamford Bridge Mm. Uh, you've got the Manchester United derby as well so So that's on
0: Saturday Saturday Saturday, a couple of games Bristol City taking on Brighton Mm -hmm. and uh, United freshly up
1: Yes, and I think Casey Stoney, you know, a lot of people getting overexcited because Manchester United ran away with the, the second tier mm. so much last season. I think perhaps expectations she's trying to manage now because uh, she has lost a few players like um, Alex Greenwood, who's gone to Leon. I mean, who who refuses that in a move in women's football? Uh, but she has managed to get some great players. Abby McManus moved from Manchester City. Uh, she's got Jane Ross, who's now a, a new outlet for her up front. So there are new, new players. I think they're probably looking at... A solid mid-table finish, I'd say. Man United this season. Um, City, it's going to be interesting because no Nikita to Paris for them. She went to Leon because Leon seemed to just take all the best players. So it's going to be interesting to to see this jostle now for the top two Champions League places. You have to think that Arsenal are, are going to be contenders after winning last season to, to retain the title. Clearly, when you look at their squad as well, and they've got people like Jordan Nobbs returning from injury. Kim Little, who's an absolute superstar. Um, So they're going to be difficult to stop. And I'd say Chelsea and City vying for that. And you mentioned Brighton and Bristol City. You know, maybe they need to be a bit wary because... Down towards the bottom now is going to be interesting. I see. Um, so
0: in terms of a title rating, Arsenal, City and who was it? it was Chelsea, Chelsea,
1: I would say will be up there. Yeah, Who's And I, I also said to Kate on the podcast, we, we're doing a WSL edition on the offside rule, which we urge people to go and, and get the preview for this weekend because we go through every single team. So that's
0: a new weekly edition of the yep. offside rule only about WSL. Only about WSL. When's WSL? That coming out, Liz? So it's
1: out on, on Mondays. Um, the preview edition's already out. So we right. go through every single team. We go through the England internationals as well that we've just had some friendlies. So listen in for that, I did say to Kate, because she's a Liverpool fan, I do think Liverpool are the dark horses in the WSL this season. Mm-hmm. I think that they, having once toppled Arsenal, who dominated for so long it was liverpool who actually took the title off them eventually had a good couple of years and then sort of have gone a little bit forgotten i think that this could be the season that they start to come back into it and i i would say they're my my dark horses for this season
0: bold prediction by the way on the subject of uh friendlies what a goal from georgia stanway
1: oh yeah but just a shame about the overall result
0: well yeah a 2-1 defeat to no norway we're, we're lucky to have. Phil Neville
3: and he is sticking around. So that's the... <laughs> Did
1: you like those quotes?
0: <laughs> I have a vision that nobody else has. I've got a bravery that no other coach has probably had. So do you know what? Thank you, lucky stars. I'm here. I'm here to stay. <laughs> and I'm going to continue to keep improving. Aristo uh, Stoichkov receiving his Ballon yeah, d'Or. It feels like something he
3: said in a hotel mirror to himself and then accidentally repeated in public. Did he genuinely say this? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, it was in a, uh, an interview, I think, with the... Daily Telegraph rap, is it? Yeah.
0: It? Yeah. I mean in some ways it's nice to see somebody so infused with positivity you know we, we talk about how sad it is when people are afflicted by depression but as, as Phil him, himself says I think we can go a long way I live and breathe it, and I never have a bad day that's something to yeah. celebrate the problem I... is
3: that England haven't won in four games uh, which is their worst run for about three and a half years so. right
0: Hard to see what other options we've got at this point, <laughs> Daniel. Uh, on, on the subject of the regular, off, you know, the original brand offside rule, mm-hmm. are you doing something on footballing rivalries this week? Is that right?
1: Feuds, yes. Feuds, football, yes. Have you
0: have you had to go back and re-record it on the basis of uh, Michael Owen <laughs> and Alan I think
1: Jerry's that inspired tip. Wow, spy. I know. I, and uh, Steve Wilson got involved, didn't he? Commentator as did well. He? Yeah. Did you see that, Michael? So-
0: have you got involved in this? Where do you where, are you team Michael or team?
1: Uh, uh,
2: my suspicion is that Owen's details were incorrect. Really, about yeah.
0: Alan Shearer wanting to move away.
2: Yeah, so this wasn't when Owen was at Newcastle. Could you just give us a timeline for anyone who hasn't who isn't sad enough to? So he's read ta- he's talking about he says when Shearer was at Newcastle under Robson. But, but the problems begin with Michael's book, Michael Owen's book. Uh, where he says that going
0: to Newcastle is something that he always regrets and that basically, Mm. he repeats some of the stuff he said on BT Sport. He's he's always said it, hasn't he? He's been
2: saying it for 10 years, yeah.
0: And I think he makes one or two comments about Alan Shearer as well. And Shearer then comes out and says, well, you were still holding down 120,000 a week or something. He was
3: going to, he was turning up daily in training and leaving from training in a helicopter at that point. So I think it's fair to say he was making the most of the situation. Uh, Which then led to that incredible Dubai video.
0: Yeah. If you haven't seen it, listener, do, and that will be the one good thing that comes out of this whole, whole thing. But anyway, so they had a bit of a spat, and and as you say, Steve Davis. I didn't see. What did he uh, interject?
1: Steve Wilson, sorry. sorry oh,
0: sorry. As <laughs> Not Steve, Steve Davis.
1: Say,
0: <laughs> as you say. So what did Steve Wilson do?
1: I, I think that he was just commenting on the fact that the book. You, you know, when people release parts on um, newspapers, is there a is there, do they serialization. Come, yeah serialization? Hmm. And I think that Michael just reacted to something that Steve had said or pulled him up on and, and basically said, when you see it in context, mm. you will know. So we all will know when we read the book in context.
2: Brilliant. No. But the, the Northeast based journalist suggests that chronology of that is not quite right. And actually, okay. Shearer wasn't pushing for a move to Liverpool. I mean, m- my objection to that is this, Owen's talking about a point where he wasn't at Newcastle. Right, he was at Liverpool at that time, so it's not like he has any inside knowledge of the. He might have heard murmurings from the club, but I just thought it was. I'm but not. I'm not sure he's right, basically. Right, but it, but I'm not saying I didn't enjoy it. I mean, I oh, mean, it's a funny one anyway. In that he's one of these players who was
3: brilliant at a time for England, brilliant at a time for most clubs he played for, but is not remembered particularly fondly at any club. Liverpool fans don't really remember him too fondly because they prefer Robbie Fowler Newcastle fans really don't even Manchester United fans don't Real Madrid fans barely remember him
1: Yeah, it's, not so it's really kind of a strange love,
3: legacy is it, is he's got
0: Stoke, Stoke, got Stoke, Stoke, in Dubai, fans. Of Stoke fans absolutely <laughs> love him yeah. alright well we'll move on now. still to come we'll be dipping into our bulging sack of, of mail and uh, there's one or two things in there I think and also a very very exciting flip reverse first though here's producer Ben
7: Thank you very much, Jembo, and a very happy International Week. Listeners, I've got Lee Price from Paddy Power on the line. Lee, let's start by talking about England and Bulgaria. Uh, give us some markets on this one, please.
5: Yeah, just so I got used to Premier League being back, it's back to England time. Good news, though. They're 1-20 to win this match. Uh, the draw is 10-1, or Bulgaria massive 25-1 outsiders. As for goal scorers, Mr Kane is 4-11, to odds-on to score... Uh, various other players who might make their bow James Madison, 2-1 to, to score any time Mason Mount, 2-1 to, to score any time or Mings on his debut, 13-2 if he gets on the pitch of course and one final one for you here 9-2 that Harry Kane wins a penalty no comment
7: And what are you guys making for the Scotland-Russia game?
5: This is one of the closest matches in our betting for the international week Scotland are 7-4, Russia are eight 8-5 making the visitors the very, very slight favourites 15-8 for the draw but Scotland could really do the a win.
7: We've been hearing from Rafa and Mikael Jongsma about the rivalry between Germany and Holland. Give us some numbers on this one, please. <laughs> I don't know if I've done something wrong here, but I'm quite surprised by the
5: odds. Uh, probably just me, to be fair. It's 10 to 11 that Germany win this one. Odds on, despite the last few games between these teams being very, very close. Holland are 5 to 2 and sound like value to me, or the draws 13 to 5. Either way, it should be a great game to watch.
7: And finally, what are the odds, please, on Spain hitting double figures against the Faroe Isles?
5: Now this is a game I could be confident predicting. Spain are an incredible 1-80 to to win, although is it really that incredible? Uh, Faroe Islands, 125-1 to to win, and God, I love it they did. More likely, in fact five times more likely, is that Spain hit double figures. It's 25-1, they score 10 or more goals, that'd be brutal.
0: You can find out those odds and more at PaddyPower.com or the Paddy Power app. Prices are accurate at the time of recording. It's over 18s only. Terms and conditions apply. And when the fun stops, stop. Now, let's have a look. Who sent us a a missive? Oh, here's Philip Benton who says, can we have a new flip and reverse it? (laughs) Perhaps, says Philip, perhaps one which means Berry survive. That would be nice, wouldn't it? (laughs) But... um, (laughs) But no, that's not what you've done, is it, uh, No,
3: I've I've ignored that very wholesome <laughs> suggestion. He's trying to get right. retweets or something. <laughs> yeah. So. Let's uh, have one where World, World War Two didn't happen. <laughs> so
0: the, I mean, that's very
3: valid. Yeah, I suppose. Um, the No Christmas Truce match, though. So football would lose out in World War One.
0: What if it was World War One? <laughs> yeah. 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 yeah okay. Bit but, bit startled, but what right you've again. done is, is actually a question that, to be fair, it's not the one that Philip's asking, but it is one that has been raised by many people.
3: I suppose it has. Yes, it
0: has yes. in recent weeks. What would have happened? What would have happened if Alexis Sanchez had gone to Manchester City instead of Manchester United? <laughs> Take it away, Alexis. January the 15th, 2018. A more innocent time when uh, Theresa May was Prime Minister. Ed Sheeran was number one with Perfect and Pep Guardiola formally announced that City were ending their pursuit of Arsenal's Alexis Sanchez. Dog lover Alexis was having a so-so season with the Gunners having scored seven goals in 19 games. He would made it known he wanted to go to a club that would challenge for the title. The City board decided that the Pooch preferring players wage demands were too high though and would cause a ruckus in their squad so they let him go to United who were on their way at the time to finishing second under Jose Mourinho. In the end the chum of K9s Chilean was given a contract worth about 390 grand a week. With 75,000 bonus for every first team start and loads of goal and assist bonuses, which to be fair remained very much in the realms of the hypothetical. But had that swap deal with Mkhitaryan not gone through and he gone to join Pep instead, what world would we be living in now, Daniel Story? So I think, I mean,
3: City go on to win the league that season, and that's undoubted. They were far enough clear. He was signed ostensibly for the Champions League. I'm not sure he makes a difference in the fairly emphatic, eventually, defeat to Liverpool. So I think that season at City stays as it is. I would suggest maybe that City don't win the league last season and that Liverpool do because the Sanchez signing at the time came off the back of some pretty significant doubts about Sergio Aguero's ability to adapt to Pep Guardiola football and the... the potential was that he would either play as this left-sided forward and therefore Raheem Sterling's place might suffer or as a central striker which he'd been doing at Arsenal for a bit and Sergio Aguero's place might suffer and they were two brilliant cogs in City's machine last season so I think it's probably fair to say that that might not have happened. The knock-on effects are Riyad Mahrez certainly doesn't go to City right? because they are hamstrung by those wages. And Guardiola has even said it would have damaged us if we'd have signed Sanchez at that money. Also, he said that Kevin De Bruyne and Raheem Sterling would probably have kicked up a bit more of a fuss for their new deals in terms mm. of the amount of money they'd have wanted. And certainly, I think Leroy Sané would probably have been sold to make up that shortfall.
0: So essentially he would have weakened Man City quite Yeah, I
3: think Guardiola said that and I think that's probably true. This idea that Sanchez would have been was a flop at Manchester United but would have been brilliant at at City I don't really buy into because he looked in that half season at Arsenal like he'd played too much football and I think that was the case. Okay.
1: Now in this scenario can we also pretend that there's a swap deal yeah, at play. You know who's going from Man City. Who are they losing, and what does that do for Arsenal?
0: Right, Arsenal don't get Mkhitaryan. Well, I, think,
3: I think Arsenal would have probably bought Riyad Mahrez from Leicester because he wouldn't have gone to City. Right, but I think the the, the more interesting issue is at Manchester United. Sorry, Lindsay. Sorry,
0: I think the, the more interesting issue.
3: I think is at Man United because I think if they finish second and Mourinho is allowed to spend the money they spent on Sanchez on a centre back that he wanted, potentially Virgil Van Dijk. Or Harry Maguire a year earlier, and then bought a wide player that he wanted. They could, I think, they would probably have finished in the top four. and Mourinho could very feasibly still be Man United manager.
2: And the good thing is, with the, with the money they didn't spend on Sanchez's wages, they got it and they saved Barry, didn't they? So,
1: <laughs> so in a way, you've very answered the, the question. Very much movers and shakers. Yeah.
0: That's extraordinary. You know, I thought that was going to be quite a simple answer, but it was anything but. Sorry. <laughs> I guess the lesson there is that if you go back and you meddle with even the smallest piece of the, you know, of, of, ben, of nice? chronology. And if producer
3: Ben <laughs> it gives you two like... days to prepare for an answer then.
0: Right. You will really, oh, do you do really? dive do into it. Do you have a heads yeah, up on that? Yeah, I did, okay. yeah. That's nice. <laughs> so basically, Arsenal, and do we ever answer Lindsay's question about who do Arsenal get? They get real well, I think Arsenal get Mahrez and,
3: and may well. Mikatarian then?
0: I mean, he goes to Italy a couple of yeah, years goes to, Yeah, exactly. He goes to...
3: Napoli rather than Roma or something. Yeah,
1: I, I thought you might have said that. You know, maybe they got Sane as part of a swap or something.
3: Well, so they, the the story was of, at the time was that City offered Raheem Sterling as part of a swap deal for Alexis Sanchez that the summer wow. before, wow. but that was the summer before. Still, which would have been very interesting because I think it's fair to say that Sterling is a player more than any other who has benefited from being at Manchester City rather than at a club like Arsenal.
0: Right. Sanchez, by the way, in what we term reality, uh, scored a grand total of three goals. Three for Man United. That's the same number as Daniel
2: James has already got this season. Mm. Bonkers. I think he'll score a lot this season for... Daniel James? No, no, Sanchez. Oh, what, for Fonte. Inter? Fonte. Yeah, yeah. We'll <laughs> see.
0: Thanks, Daniel. And thanks, uh, Blazing Squad, as well. So, Adam Chandler and his... And his uh, question here, or statement rather, Inter's ultras and their statement to Lukaku discuss. This follows last Sunday's events in the game between Cagliari and Inter when uh, audible monkey chants are directed at Romelu Lukaku as he steps up to take a penalty, penalty that wins the game for Inter. Uh, There's been widespread um, outcry and and, and dismay at this, uh, another example of racism from Cagliari fans. Surprisingly... Or perhaps not that surprisingly, but curiously, calorie's supporters were defended this week by the Inter Milan ultras. It's not a f- this is who issued essentially their their group from the Curvenord, the, the 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 voice of the North I- issued a statement in which they said, "Have we all read it here? Mm. If you haven't listened, I mean that the key things are that it's explaining to Romelu Lukaku. It's addressed to Lukaku, and it says." It's astonishingly patronising. It says, we understand it could have seemed racist to you, but it's not like that. In Italy, we use some ways to help our teams and try and make our opponents nervous, not for racism, but to mess them up. We're not racist and so are not the Cagliari fans. This is uh, their English version of the statement. And the other extraordinary thing after the essentially telling him, by the way, uh, comparing players to apes is not racist, uh, is that they say, when you declare, Lukaku, that racism is a problem to be fought in Italy, you're just helping the repression against all football fans, including us, and you contribute to create a problem that is not really there. I I mean, I struggle. It's It's a good exercise in victim blaming, isn't it?
3: It's amazing.
0: It's amazing. I mean, that has long been a facet of italian support that they feel that or elements of of, of the, the tifosi feel that anything goes in terms of putting off a player anything but it also, you can it's throw it's
1: ignorance as to, to knowing what racism is yeah
0: i mean some people would say only a racist could possibly say that that wasn't yeah. racist and and yeah, that's an interesting conversation to have i think it's really uh, disappointing that as far as i can see so far into themselves haven't taken a position on this statement as i say it's not one from into themselves but it's from one of their fans' groups who, who release statements and press releases in this way in Italy quite, quite often. callery themselves, I mean, they, they have actually condemned their fans' approach and, and hopefully some action is going to be taken by the, the federation. But
1: It needs to be. I mean, well, this the, is four yeah, times.
0: The disciplinary
3: judge, the league judge that obviously in Syria a person goes and looks through every game and decides if any disciplinary action should take place, didn't use the word racist in his summation of the game. He said it was chance that have received media attention, was how he phrased it, I think, in the translation. So it doesn't bode particularly promisingly for any action to be taken.
0: And certainly nothing's really happened to Kelly in the past. When no, we no, 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 not at all. Or moise Kane last season. And you know, with I've Balotelli and Montari.
3: Yeah. And right the way back, they've never had action taken against him as a club.
0: Part of the issue, I think, is that in Italy, there is this notion that if we just kind of If we just ignore them, I mean, the ultras are just kind of badly behaved and maybe... They'll catch up with the rest of society eventually. And to be fair, the ultras are often really, really positive organizations. Mm. I mean, they, yeah, do yeah, some, yeah. they do do some incredibly, well, not just in terms of the choreography and the, the whole kind of folklore of the Italian game, but some of them are incredibly you know, socially aware and woke, if you want to use that expression, and do great, great, great things and, and, and also provide a framework of solidarity and, and even a voice for the fan in in a game in which, you know, in the modern game in which uh, obviously mm. they're they, the fans are struggling struggling to have any kind of weight in decision making so in that sense the ultras often do positive things this though is but, really really depressing but
3: they kind of have the power to release statements like this because the league hasn't taken action before so the league is effectively overtly or implicitly is saying well yeah that's right you know anything is allowed because they haven't taken any action when they've done it before so why would they not do it keep doing it mm. and obviously people like Carlo Tovecchio who has been a president of the Italian Football Federation and you know he's talking about things like players eating bananas before coming to Italy and he was the president for three years so yeah. it's not as if this isn't entrenched
2: in the culture all over mm. the thing I find extraordinary is even if the people in power have no interest in tackling racism these people are so obsessed with the brand of their leagues they must understand that if I were to ask my friends you know what the score was of Napoli juve they might not know, but everyone will have seen this, and it just puts people off their the thing that they're trying to promote and if if that seems like the only way that you can get these people to mm. to listen these days yeah. but they're not even not even going with that, I just find it extraordinary that they have no interest in taking any action
0: yeah well, really unfortunate for ramululukukaka and and hopefully his presence there and and uh will help to shed a little light into the brains of some of these these people let, let, let understanding in thanks adam chandler for that question in other tweets news the sausage koenig asked for information about the statistical basis for the notion that two nil is a dangerous score line and this unfortunately sparked one of those kind of michael Owen, alan shearer-esque <laughs> twitter beefs between our very own michael cox <laughs> and, Have you been and with duncan Puxley? alexander who um, was trying to bully you with numbers and stuff yeah he'll do that won't he <laughs>
2: Yeah, well, my objection, first of all, hmm. is I think the original phrase was 2-0 is a dangerous lead. R- not right. the most dangerous. It was like, don't switch off. We've all seen you can go 2 nil up, feel comfortable, you can see two goals. Then it got changed to the most dangerous lead, which is clearly not clearly the most dangerous Clearly that's not the case. Lead.
0: And then I think also my reaction to Duncan's numbers. I mean, he comes up with the all-time Premier League numbers up until the end of last season for teams who were two goals up. And only 2.7 of those matches have then gone on to see that team defeated but uh, that's,
2: that's a silly stat to use. It shouldn't be just defeat. It should be draw as well. Right. If you 2-0 no up and you drew 2-2 drew all, that's evidence of a 2-0 no lead being I'm dangerous. Akin
1: to Chelsea and Sheffield United last week. And mm.
2: Arsenal and Tottenham. So it's I'm happened 20%, he... 20% of the time within the last 10 Premier League games. <laughs> I would suggest
0: that even a game like Juve Napoli last week, which saw Juve taking a 3-0 lead effectively then consider their job done, get caught out by Napoli to the tune of three goals and suddenly find themselves heading towards a 3-3 draw. They went on to win it through an own goal by Napoli's Koulibaly, but that was still danger. So even though that doesn't figure in Duncan's stats, I'm afraid the numbers here, they don't tell the whole whole story. It's essentially unbelievably dangerous to go two goals up and to be avoided uh, wherever possible.
1: Whilst you're talking about Juventus, right. I noticed that Emre Chan, so he's not in the Champions League yeah, squad.
0: Yeah, that's mm. unfortunate. Ooh. Well, I think that goes back to what we were talking about at the top, where the, the, the rich clubs have assembled very large sets of players, probably on the assumption that at a certain point they'd be able to move the surplus ones on. But it turns out they're all full.
3: And, and it's not as if Juventus picked any surprises to leave out. M. Ray Chan, really. It's just they have too many players, isn't it? Right.
1: But I read an interview with him on international duty where he said, well, once, once I'm back yeah. from duty, I need to have a word. I mean, what's he going to say? <laughs> <laughs>
0: well, no, but his position is that he was told when he decided not to move away, which is a curious thing about this because it wasn't like he was one of the ones that they were trying to get rid of, but he was told, no, stay with us because you've got Champions League football. Oh. And so you can understand. I mean, if that's what genuinely happened, that's certainly his position. Um, you can understand his frustration to then find that actually he doesn't.
2: Mm. And also, it's funny because he's the exact kind of player you try and squeeze into your squad because he can play anywhere, can't he? Fair. Mm.
1: So. I thought that too. I thought surely he would, the he got would be good, good to have him. he They leave out Mandzukic
2: as well.
0: Yes. Which is. Oh. Well. I think there's, there's that's because of January's His commitment transfer, to yeah. you know the the Sarri project it's going a forward.
2: Shame. So many Champions League oh. moments yeah, yeah. over the
0: years. Man, Man United
1: them, have been li- with him and West Ham, haven't they?
0: They they were yeah. they were the transfer window. Now For, no,
1: but January. <laughs> yeah. For January, I know we're talking about the next transfer window already. Are we already? Yeah.
0: Crikey. Ollis wants to talk about the best sports books that each of the panel have read, not including not including any they've written themselves. Okay. But Daniel, you can do Michael. <laughs> I don't know. He's going first. I don't trust him. Michael.
2: A best uh, sports book I've read this year, if I yes. can say that, is a book called Full Gas by Peter Cossens, which is about the tactical development of road cycling. And it's absolutely brilliant. Brilliant. It just splits everything into great, category, well, great chapters, but categorizes the different stages. Right. And there's just. I'm a. Really big cycling fan, but there's so many things I had never considered about it, and it's brilliant. Oh, that's interesting. you probably like you're into
0: cycling, aren't you? I am. I like yeah. a bit of cycling. I think one of my favourite sporting books, apart from uh, people who've written <laughs> in this room, <laughs> of course, was uh, Tyler Hamilton's book. Yeah.
1: Oh, I love that. Yeah, it was yeah, amazing. That was brilliant. Which,
0: the title of which is
1: oh, I can't remember, but it, it won the. It's not
0: Racing Through the Dark because that's uh, David Miller's, isn't it? <laughs> which is also good, but Tyler Hamilton's is, is extraordinary. Tyler Hamilton's is very good. Yeah. There's
2: certain sports that are good for sports books and so Backling is up there. uh,
0: Producer Abby, who's in for producer Ben this week, says "Secret Racer," "Secret Race." Says producer.
3: Ah, I mean, as this is a football podcast, I'll give two football shouts. First is the Bible, which is "The Ball Is Round" by David Goldblatt, which is a bit of a textbook, really. It's about a thousand pages. I thought for a second you
0: were genuinely going to say
2: the Bible, and then I was going to say. <laughs> the, of the
0: Bible what are your favourite bits Old Testament say, I don't want to yeah, discuss mine yeah.
3: <laughs> uh, and uh, the miracle of Castel de Sangro is okay. Is the one really as that kind of romantic
0: right. tale and why he hasn't done a follow up book yeah. because that place yeah
1: I feel like I'm going to lower the tone with, with my suggestions. is Frank Lampard's I'm... magic
0: boots or...
1: <laughs> no but I, I think given that it's a week where Ray Parler has had a book come out has he yes I thought we'd go for what's, the like, rock bottom toilet humour.
0: <laughs> what's what's Ray's book called?
1: Oh, I can't, I don't know off the top is of my head. Is it called
3: Parlour Talk or something? It'll it be, should I, be. I, it? I promise you it'll be called It's Only Ray Parlour. I'm almost certain it'll be called no, that. He
2: had a book that came out like three years ago that was called That. There we go.
1: On that general theme, I would say if you like your toilet humour, if you like <laughs> real bottom of the. Yeah, up, like a toilet we... book, really, one that you read in, in the bog, I would go with Paul Merson.
3: Oh, I thought it was and his one autobiography. It is
1: hilarious. Is it? It is absolutely hilarious, but probably not very highbrow.
0: Nice. I'm just looking at the Pele uh, colon, It's Only Ray Parler's Autobiography. Yeah, that was, uh, came out in 2016, but there's no word no, there's here a, there's on what a the... new.
1: There's a new book. While
0: you're having a look for that, here's a question from Guts8Gary, and I, I found this very interesting, actually. guts 8 asks, I've always wanted to know, what does a manager of a big club say, a Liverpool, Juve or Real Madrid do during international week, given that all of his players are going to be away for 10 days. Logic suggests working on fine-tuning in training, but how can you with none of your first 11 unbenched?
2: It's a very good point, though, isn't it? What do they do? Does anybody know? I'm not sure there's an interesting answer for that, other oh. than they make do with what they can with the players around. Well, that's absolutely right. I mean,
3: in terms of, he says fine-tuning, but that that's... A vague term, anyway, in that there isn't an awful lot of fine tuning to do once the season begins, it's about training the players you have. So, I guess they do exactly the same, but with the players they have.
1: So, breaking Ray Parler news, it came out on the 5th of May, it's only Ray Parler's, so it's broken. That, it came yeah. out in May. But what have they done then? Have they done it's a the book re-
2: I think it's
3: paperback.
2: Uh,
1: yeah, I think this
2: is and audio. You can't have another tomorrow. book you bought went out like three years ago. No, I read that like three years ago. Oh, okay.
1: Well, he's been talking about it again this week. You it's read better, it?
2: Was, uh, yeah. How How
0: would you rate that in your top 10 football books? I wouldn't feature in the top 10. Okay, but in terms of f- tell-all players' autobiographies, would it feature in that? Uh, What's your favourite tell-all players' autobiography?
3: Favourite autobiography is a good question, I think. Okay. That is a good question. I would say... Oh, you go.
2: I think the best one I've read in recent years is Craig Bellamy's autobiography. Oh, I bet that's <gasps> interesting. It's got um, a good title, hasn't
3: it? Is it Goodfellas?
2: Yeah. Yeah. Which I found interesting because I read a hell of a lot of footballers' autobiographies for the one of the books I did. Basically, any book ghostwritten by Oliver Holt is very good.
3: Hmm. Paul McGrath is. Right. Not as for football reasons necessarily, but yeah, Paul McGrath is a heck of a read.
0: Okay. Well, there's some uh, reading for you, listener. Uh, that brings us, though, to the end of today's show. Many thanks to Lindsay. To Daniel and to Michael for being with us. Daniel, you're actually going to be coming along to the fantasy football, the official fantasy Premier League podcast, which will be out Thursday night, Friday morning. And then you're back on Monday as well.
3: Mm, The Quick hat-trick, Robbie Fowler versus Arsenal.
0: Exactly. Frieda Fagerlund and Jack Lang. High-flying in fantasy terms, Jack Lang. Do you know he's number one in his country?
3: Yeah, because he's put his country down as the Holy See.
0: Well, because he thought of it anyone could have done that there's about
3: 10 people who have put that isn't there
0: I've beaten all of them Uh, so far anyway Uh, what are you up to this weekend Lindsay you're going across to that so I'm going to Stamford
1: Bridge and I'm moving house oh wow so Stamford Bridge on Sunday moving house on Monday
2: good luck with that Michael I'm going to Sussex against Worcestershire in the T20 Blast then I'm going to Whitehawk against Abbey Rangers keep an eye out on the Athletic for a special feature on that brilliant Whitehawk from Brighton
0: how did you know that? Because well, I remember them. They they had a cut run, didn't they?
2: They did have a cut run. Yeah. You know what? Whitehawk was also the the site of. It was. It's a brutal area of
0: an already rough town, isn't it?
2: <laughs> Half of that is true. I okay. would say.
0: Yeah. I mean, obviously Brighton's quite a <laughs> pleasant place, but Whitehawk's the kind of. It was also the scene edgier. of.
2: Yeah. It was also the scene of that you've got no fans. Rant. Was it? Yeah. Sport the intro to. Do my you want some? Article. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. I'll give it you. Yeah. So the thing that gets uh, the bloke rolled up is the bloke going, them are playing well, and he objects to that. <laughs> <laughs> well, to play us out then today, let's
0: just enjoy the Does It Turns of the Wealdstone Raider, and we'll see you all for another Totally Football Show on Monday.
2: I'm the Wealdstone Raider. You might know who I am. Because I have all the fans. Some of these rappers have got no tunes and no fans. That's why I'm here. The Wolfstone Rider. Wolfstone Rider. Wolfstone Rider.
4: Wolfstone.